so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! It's Colton of the Americas. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Motorsport 101, filling in for Andre Harrison, Ryan King, Krista Hardy, and RJ O'Connell. That's the best imitation of that one ESPN voice dude <laughs> you're gonna get. I was like, did we get acquired by the mothership? In a world where cars go around the track, only one podcast will save them all. Coming now. Old Spice. <laughs> Coors, Coors Light. Taste the silver bullet. All these are uncompensated sponsors of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Yes, standing in for your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. Uh, we're here. I'm RJ O'Connell. Um, I have Ryan King uh, joining us from the wonderful metropolis that is uh, New York. Yes, you're, you're home of the Formula E season finale. Well... Until the end of this year, then we lose it to London next year. But forget about that. You're home. Whoa, no. Now, hold on. Hold on now, King. Um, as we'll discuss, you have a much prouder um, <laughs> locally adjacent uh, motorsport accomplishment that just happened this past weekend. Yes, yes. It's like the evil empire has expanded its reaches further and further. So if the title of the episode did not give it away... Colton Herta, 18 years, 11 months, 24 days old, is an IndyCar Series winner in his third career start. Incredible. Just that's st- we'll that that. Steinbrenner magic. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about in this race. And, of course, to help us out, uh, Christopher DeHarty joining us uh, back, back at Indianapolis, back home again in Indiana. Yeah, when Colton... When I was Colton's age, when he won, I was in the middle of probably my worst semester in college. So, uh, is this how a midlife crisis starts? I certainly hope I not. I think so. <laughs> I can relate. I mean, my goodness, I was I was in college uh, studying theater and wondering what the hell else I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I'm sure a lot of us could feel the same uh, if you weren't a professional racing driver from, from childhood. Colton Herta is an IndyCar race winner. And uh, y'all, we got a lot to talk about. We've got an awesome IndyCar classic at Circuit of the Americas. We have a race that literally turned uh, three quarters of the way in. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll get into some Indy lights. We'll talk about the Formula E E-Prix of Sanya, where we have some beef that is developing and another race with massive championship implications. We've also got news about Mick Schumacher's first F1 test, some updates on uh, the European Formula Masters done before it got restarted, and we'll look ahead to the week to come, uh, Bahrain Grand Prix, MotoGP, Argentine Grand Prix, and maybe a mini preview of the Formula 2 championship which starts in Bahrain as well. And of course, the reason why you're all here, Fight Club, Costa Rica Special. (laughs) All of that will become apparent later on in the show. 
In the meantime, you can find us at motorsport101.com. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Our Twitter handle is motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at C. DeHarty. Um, and if you wish to back us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Become a backer. Uh, listen to these shows on early access for just $5. $10, you can listen to these shows as they're being recorded. And we've got a good audience. We've got we got Brian, we got Steven, we got Cam, we got Vikesh. Thank you all so much for joining in. Um, let's not waste much time. Let's get into the IndyCar Classic at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. He'll come off the final turn. For the final time, he will see the twin checkers. And how about this youngster? Colton Hernan is going to go to victory lane in the NTT IndyCar Series debut here at the Circuit of the Americas. Setting a new record for the youngest IndyCar race winner of all time, Colton Herta won this race. I, I saw it, and I still can't believe it. Chris, you were there. You were there covering this, and you saw it. Can you still believe this? It's crazy. Well, the th- here's the thing about Colton Herta is that he started off very, very strongly. He was in the Firestone Fast 6. He was on pace the entire race. He was third the majority of the race. So he got – he was there, you know, he deserved to be up front. But, you know, he played the strategy game well, especially given what took place later on with Felix Rosenquist and James Hinchcliffe, which we'll get into later. But let's not forget, like I said – he was there on merit. He drove his butt off. He was quick in testing, and yeah, you know, it wasn't a fluke as some uh, some other wins have been over the years. He was there, to, and he did a great job. And think about this: think of the year he's had so far. He's done this. He's a class winner at the Rolex Twenty Four, and he ain't even nineteen yet. It was uh, it was certainly uh, one of the uh, the moments of the race. I mean, we're we're seeing a changing of the guard in any car, and for Colton Herta, what a special moment! I, I knew this kid was going to be good. I didn't know he was going to be this good at this level this soon, with what is effectively a third year team that has uh, been under some scrutiny, though. Not the fault of Colton Herta. Let's, uh, again, we've stated that multiple times throughout the show. Yeah, what happened with Patricio Ward, we'll talk about later in the show, was was very unfortunate. Didn't reflect good on the team, but Colton Herta is an amazing talent. And it was awesome to see him run up front. And then three quarters into a race that Will Power had pretty much dominated from from the drop of the flag, winning his 56th career pole position, now 11 away from Marco Mario Andretti. Um, he leads most of the race. He keeps uh, he keeps the likes of Alexander Rossi and Colton Herta in check. And you feel like it's going to be a two-car race between Will Power and Alexander Rossi. And Colton Herta will get his first podium finish. And I, let me just interject something. Uh, the Circuit of the Americas was also offering a $100,000 bonus to any driver who could win the race from pole. Will oh. Power had one pole. <laughs> he was in contention for the $100,000. Let's face it, that money's going to go to Amazon Prime anyway. <laughs> Amazon Prime yesterday. Get your packages delivered before you even order them. 
Oh my goodness. So we had a clean race going for the first 40 laps and we saw some really, really good racing. Uh, As it turns out, fears of Circuit of the Americas not producing good IndyCar racing, extremely unfounded. The tires, um, they had just enough life in them where he could push, but, you know, the drivers really had to work to wrestle the car around through sections that look kind of effortless in some Formula One cars. Um, The tires degraded um, quickly enough to where you could get some good passing, and there was plenty of passing and a jump in the set list a bit. We cannot talk about passes without talking about Patricio Award. See, we get to him because this is his first race with Carlin, um, the first of his 13 race deal with the team, driving the number 31 car. Um, And Patricio Award was running solidly up in the top 10 all day and came away with a a finish of, I want to say, yeah, he finished in eighth. But the story of his race was his amazing round-the-outside pass on Graham Rahal coming through the section that, of course, is designed after Istanbul's famous uh, Quad Apex Corner. So this would be in the final section of the circuit. Um, King, break break this down for me, because the way I described it, it was... It was Vince Carter dunking on Frederick Weiss in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. It was that level of, I'm here to feed you your jock. Yeah, because it was like, in your mind and on paper, it's an overtake that should never work. Just attempting it makes it seem like you're probably either going to go, you know, understeer wide off the track or just end up in it completely just shooting back in your face. But not only... Not only does he make the move stick, he holds it. He holds it. There's no, there's no way he's getting past that. Yeah, he gets around to the inside of uh, he gets around to the inside of Graham Ray Hall, which sets him up around the outside of this corner. And this is this is for all intents and purposes a one line corner. Uh, but Patricia Ward does not lift. He does not lose control. And by the time we come around to turn 19, which was a which was a <clears throat> Shall we say a uh, point of discussion throughout the race, if you will? Um, but no, he he holds it and he keeps all four wheels inside the white lines. It was beautiful. Patricio Ward showed incredible racecraft, which um, you know, Chris, you follow the roads of Indy closely. That that has to be a testament to the the way that that series develops drivers. Absolutely. Uh, you look at, well, one of the things that Pato told me was that with his experience in the road to Indy is that he knew where he would be fast and where he'd be able to push, and he felt like it was good, clean, fun racing. And what really sets everything apart to me, I actually spoke with Graham Rahal after the race, and he agreed. He, uh, I said, hey, you know, you had a good battle of Pato there. You know, how much fun was that? Do you mind if I read you his quote? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, it was good. Pato, he proved a lot to me today, which was nice. He was very fair, and actually I wanted to go see him and tell him that. Um, yeah, I thought he did a great job, and it was very clean, and it was good racing. Um, end quote, and that was, that was Graham Rahal after the race. Um, it's amazing that, you know, Colton now has the record. That was Graham's. So now, and Graham actually went to congratulate Colton before Colton even got out of the car which was really, really nice to see as well. But yeah, Patricio, he fell to eighth place by the end of the race because he had to do some fuel saving. Um, and as 
Trevor Carlin said after the race, you know, when you overtake and overtake and overtake, it sucks all the gas out of it. So, you know, it is what it is. But Patricio did a fantastic job. He really did. Um, and in any other circumstance, his performance would certainly be the story of the race. Uh, on its own, that was an impressive drive for someone who is, again, only making his second IndyCar start. But Colton Hurd, it turned out to be the story of the race, and it came uh, thanks to a collision on lap number 44 between James Hinchcliffe and Felix Rosenquist, who were both running solidly inside the top 10 all race long. And this gets back to that point where I mentioned that uh, turn 19 was a point of discussion throughout the race. Now, Circuit of the Americas, for those of you who do not know, is a track that has vast expanses of asphalt and tarmac runoff. Yes, it's built, to, turn a, night- it's built to an FIA grade one standard meant to host a Formula One Grand Prix. Yes. And for American-sanctioned events at Circuit of the Americas, um, they tend to have a more, um, I would say, laissez-faire approach to track limits. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nobody's going to straight line the chicane, but let's say at turn 19. If you want to carry more speed and extend to the track all the way to the outside, which uh, which <laughs> we did get a funny moment in practice where uh, Marcus Erickson skidded off, uh, found the patch of concrete, and hit the... Uh, hit the uh, Hit the tech probe area at the outside, and just as he made contact, this uh, this uh, marshal and the safety crew pops out of the port of John uh, and sprints to the scene because you have to be ready at all times. Duty calls. AMR safety crew, stay stay ready, champions. Yeah, you know, so when when it, when nature calls, you know, your duty calls, you got to go. So that was that got a great laugh in the uh, media center over at uh, Coda and. Uh, it was it was quickly noticed, to put it that way. <laughs> uh, that was that was one of the good moments. Turn nineteen was the source of a lot of controversy because drivers were extending well past the uh, the so called track limits. A lot of F one Twitter was not happy about this. Uh, people were saying, you know, this is a blatant abuse of track limits. And yes, there are like I've heard arguments, and there are reasons why people would get would get up in arms about this because there are genuine safety reasons for leaving the track and then rejoining its speed, such as what happened when Felix Rosenquist was to the outside, rejoined the track, and pretty much got hooked by James Hinchcliffe and sent it to the inside Armco barrier. On the other hand, people were kind of acting like really, really, really overzealous about it. Like, yeah... I hope you never have the privilege to watch a NASCAR race at Watkins Glen where they've been extending the track all the way out to the friggin' Armco for years and years and years. Yeah, the, Tony Kanana spoke with him after the third practice session. He said it should be grass out there because we shouldn't be running on racetrack. Racetrack should have defined boundaries. It was a definite source of contention, and there were always safety concerns. And I think 80 to 90% of the drivers wanted to see track limits enforced. But the biggest problem that you have, though, is is that you'd have to have a lot more people watching that corner than others. Um, the re- another one reason why they didn't do track limits on a lot of other corners was that the series installed yellow bumps on the outside of and inside of corners to stop people from cutting apexes. And the good thing about that is track kind of pr- police itself. You don't have to worry about that unless your name was Santino Ferrucci. <laughs> yes, Santino caught the, uh, the Verstappen bumps on one of the corners, and his car decided that its planet... Uh, no longer needed him, and uh, he decided to uh, lift two wheels off. Ended up with a damaged floor that really wrecked what was a good fin- What was a good race for him, and damaged suspension as well because the the 
quote that was given uh, in the what they're saying, I believe it was, said that the, both the rear shocks were destroyed after that, and they had to actually change the dampers on pit road. Um, but the car wasn't the same after that. So this caution is important because by this point, Will Power was leading and was yet to make his third and final stop. Alexander Rossi was second and had yet to make his third and final stop. But Colton Herta had made his third and final stop. So with Power and Rossi still needing to pit, Colton Herta was in a position that he was going to lead this race when this race restarted. But hey, Will Power had the dominant car all day. There was a chance he could salvage a podium out of this. All he had to do was just make sure that nothing went wrong on his final pit stop. Oh no, Will Power, what have you done? Oh, King, King, what happened with old Will Power? Oh, it seemed like it was going to be a routine pit stop, but when he when it looked like he was going to move out of the box, the car did not move. Drive, drive line failure, input shaft had broken on his car as, as they had released the jacks, and that was Will Power's race done. Led 45 laps, had nothing to show for it by the end, uh, classified 24th and last. I'll go ahead and say it. Uh, if that piss up had happened under green, he wouldn't have had that happen. He mm, he was rushing no. really hard out of the pits underneath the yellow, and um, yeah, that's that's what ultimately caused it, in my opinion. It, it's a tough break for Will, and you know a setback this early in the season. You know, Will's Will's been great the last few years, but you always wonder setbacks like this can really damage a championship hope. I mean, we're still only two races in the season. I know that, but you know if you if Will doesn't end up winning the championship, he could look back to a moment like that and say that could have ultimately cost him a season. Um, and also $100,000 worth of uh, Amazon Prime bucks. Well, yeah, like you, we could obviously point back to a season where that exactly happened back in 2006 where he couldn't start in St. Pete and ended up finishing second in the championship. Uh, yes, indeed. That was that was 2016. Missed the uh, missed the race. Oriole Servia had it sub for him at the last minute. And did a good job, remember if that. I remember right. He was uh, like very high up in the standings at the morning warm up, and it was his first time driving for Penske. Um, did a good job with the car. Um, hey, Team Penske, take on Servia for a race, would you? <laughs> When we restart the race um, with 10 laps to go, Colton Herta leads. Joseph Newgarden is in second. Um, so Herta has the point, but he has a proven champion breathing down his neck with way more time in push to pass at his disposal at the time. Is this the opportunity where Colton Herta buckles and his rookie inexperience shines through and lets Joseph Newgarden through to his second win of the season? Well... My friends, it was not. Colton Herta checked out, got a great start, and kept driving away from the field until after 60 laps and two hours of elapsed time, Colton Herta, by a record margin of 103 days, taking the record previously held when Graham Ray Hall won in St. Pete in 2008, the youngest ever IndyCar Series winner, sits day short of his 19th birthday. That is an amazing accomplishment. When you all, when you look at also like really how Colton won this thing, he had to take uh, defend against two series champions. He had to defend against um, you know all these expectations that have gone against him, and 
Well, let's also not forget, he was the runner-up in the Indy Lights Championship that had only eight cars that a lot of people were down on because it had so few cars. But you had a lot of quality in those in that field. Um, Colton did a fantastic job and ultimately showed everybody why he has the seat because he's talented. And, you know, he, he has said, you know, he's not willing to rest on his laurels. He wants to get back in a car in two weeks' time at Barber Motorsports Park. Is he a, is he a bona fide championship contender at this point? I don't, it's too early to tell now. I would give it until the end of the month of May, but it, but um, he's certainly talented enough to put on a major championship push in his first season. Of course, we got some humor out of this, of course, because Colton Herta, being 18 years old and below the legal drinking age in the United States, uh, they were going to give him some, uh, I believe it was sparkling cider on the podium while Joseph Newgarden and Ryan Hunter Ray got champagne. Yeah, but things didn't go to plan. Yeah, Yeah, there was just one mistake. They swapped some of the bottles. So Colton Herta got the aforementioned champagne that he is not legally allowed to drink. And Joseph Newgarden got the sparkling cider. And you could tell by the disappointment on his face that he got that bottle. (laughs) (laughs) The funniest thing thing were the pictures uh, on the podium afterwards. Because you could tell Joseph looking at the bottle like, Oh, kid, you got mine, dang it. (laughs) <laughs> and what was funny was that Colton had a taste and was like whoa this is the real stuff and <laughs> yeah that, that yeah you saw funny. you just saw the shock on his face <laughs> and of course Colton wasn't gonna give that up right <laughs> would no. you of course not no absolutely not it's a great moment um, of course everybody had the Firestone branded Stetson hats on the podium because why not yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if Colton's going to bring that hat to Texas Motor Speedway. Um, I don't know about you, oh, but... I hope so. I mean, if you have that... If you went at Texas Motor Speedway and you have that um, hat in victory lane shooting off the six shooters, I mean, that's the perfect uh, Texas two-step, I think. So out of all this, we had a uh, we had an All-American podium uh, with Ryan Hunter-Ray finishing third, Joseph Newgarden second, and a great day for Joseph Newgarden's championship hopes, uh, which we'll get into the point standings in a second as we're running down the rest of the race order. Uh, again, Graham Rahal, while he uh, while he did get posterized by Patricio Award earlier in the race, he still came away with a solid fourth-place finish, so an All-American top four. Uh, looking for some movers throughout the race, Sebastian Bourdais improved 12 spots from 17th on the grid to finish 5th. That was a great bounce back after the early DNF in St. Petersburg. Yeah, with Sebastian, I actually talked to Craig Hampson after the race, and the phrase that he used was he was pleased as punch to finish fifth. Um, He said that with the slow corners and the fast corners, he could either make the car secure in the front or he could make it better in the rear, but it wouldn't turn. He could only do one of the two. And Sebastian said that he felt like he couldn't give uh, the best feedback to the guys. So they were both really looking forward to getting on to Barber. Uh, Sebastian's now 15th in points, which is a much better position than where he was after St. Petersburg. They're both pretty happy right now. Excellent. Marco Andretti, quietly, very quietly, had another productive day where he started 20th and finished 6th. So he is now firmly entrenched in the top 10 in the standings, uh, having cleared out most of his Twitter follows uh, (laughs) over the weekend. You know, I'll, I'll say this, and again, I know that IndyCar has a good product, and I know also that a lot of IndyCar supporters and even drivers are very proud of their product, almost to the point of being overly defensive about it. But Marco, please, if you're listening, just Dre didn't mean it. 
Dre, Dre didn't mean to uh, to to go in that hard. Please unblock him. Freezing. <laughs> yes, please unblock Dre. Hashtag unblock Dre. Get the get the hashtag going. Free Aunt <laughs> Becky unblock Dre. Um, Takuma Sato had a had a solid day. He finished seventh, having started fourteenth. Again, as mentioned, Patricio Award came away with an eighth place finish. That doesn't really tell the whole story of how uh, impressive his running was. And he'll be back at Barber Motorsports Park. Um, and I'm sure he'll do great things. Uh, we mentioned that Will Powers' race got kind of uh, thrown out, off kiltered. Uh, to understate it a little bit by the uh, the caution, Alexander Rossi only coming away with the ninth place finish, and he was he was surging through the field after that final race start just to get back into the top ten. Uh, so you really have to wonder, man, man, what could have been if not for that safety car for for Rossi? Jack Harvey came away with the top ten finish, having started twenty third. He finished in tenth place. Uh, another great day at the track for Meyer Shank Racing. Yeah. It it always feels like anytime they go out there they get solid results. They they don't they don't shock or surprise, but they always do pretty well. Early candidate for most improved team and driver combination, yep. in my opinion. I know we're only two races in the season, but much better than they were last year. Yep. One thing about my down the rest of the order. One thing about my Shank. Um I wrote this for IndyCar.com after the St. Petersburg race, you know. Michael Shank and Jack Harvey both had the same expectations of a full-time car, even though they're only part-time. Usually, you, if you're a part-time manager, you say, yeah, let's just try and, you know, see if we can just be there at the end. But no, they're actually expecting top 10 finishes. When Mike, I talked to Michael Shank on Friday, he said the goal was to transfer out of the first round of qualifying. They didn't do that this time around, but they showed people that they were able to manipulate their strategy and do well in the race when it counted. And ultimately, that's a victory in and of itself. Because yeah. they're looking at just incrementally getting better and better and better, you know, bit by bit. They're not going to try and bite off more than they can chew. Excellent. And that's, that's always a good strategy. Uh, Tony Kanaan, uh, excuse me, Spencer Pickett uh, finished 11th, having started 19th. Tony Kanaan started 24th and finished in 12th. Um, pedestrian day for defending champion Scott Ditson started 6th, ended up finishing 13th. Seems a little bit uncharacteristic, but if that's going to be his worst day, he's going to be another title contender this year for sure. Ed Jones finishing at 14th, Marcus Erickson 15th, James Hinchcliffe after the contact with Felix Rosenquist in 16th, Mateus Lye 17th. First appearance of the year for Junkos Racing and Kyle Kaiser, who finished 18th and on the lead lap, which was a very encouraging result for them. The last car on the lead lap was, uh, the second to last car on the lead lap, I should say, was Simon Paginot, uh in 19th. So not a great start for Simon Paginode, And maybe you have to wonder, is his job under threat once again? Yes. Santino Ferrucci, um, having run in the top 10 for most of the day, um, launched his car off of one of the anti-cuts, uh, finished down in 20th with Florence suspension damaged. He was the last car in the lead lap. Matt Chilton finished 21st, a lap down. Zach Feach, having been involved in a crash um, five corners into the race, start finished 22nd, and it certainly didn't help when he uh, when he misjudged his uh, breaking point, compensating for the lag and racing, only to find out that it's happening in real time, pal, <laughs> and picking himself up a 4X and a 22nd place finish. We mentioned that Felix Rosenquist went nose first in the Armco. Um, he actually passed Will Power going back to the pits for repairs for the incident that he caused. 
Um, finished in 23rd, five laps down. Um, but he had another great day before then. And of course, as we mentioned, Will Power uh, finishing last, the only retirement of the race with that uh, with that input shaft failure uh, and dropping down to sixth in the standings. Uh, Colton Herta at the fastest lap of the race. Doesn't get an extra point for that, but he does get a bonus point for having led a lap. And that gives us to... That brings us, I should say, to the IndyCar Series standings after two rounds. Joseph Newgarden on 93 points leads the championship. He has an 18-point lead over second place. Colton Herta jumping all the way to second in the standings. Scott Nitson and 36 points back in third place. He is four points ahead of Alexander Rossi in fourth. Graham Rahal is fifth, 43 points back of the lead. Will Power again slides to sits in the standings. He is 46 points back. Marco Andretti, seventh in the championship. He is 48 points back of Joseph Newgarden. Ryan Hunter Ray is eighth. He is 51 points back, tied with James Hinchcliffe for the same number of points in ninth. Felix Rosenquist rounds out the top 10 in the standings after two rounds. And we also had some Indy Lights. And if we want to talk about uh, good weekends for Andretti's Autosport adjacent drivers, Chris, I hear Oliver Askew had a pretty damn fine weekend deep in the heart of Texas. It was an ask you kicking, I guess. <laughs> I like that. Um, really, it was just a vintage Oliver Askew performance like in USA 2000 when he would, won like five out of the first six races. But um, the first race, he was just long gone. The fight in the first race really was focused on second place. First, you had Robert McGinnis and Toby Sowery just going at it really hard. And then um, late in the going, you had uh, David Malukas fighting with uh, Renus VK. VK got around Malukas, and Malukas actually hit... Um, if he came, damaged the front suspension. Uh, VK then was fighting with McGinnis hard there at the very end of the race while Oliver Askew was just gone. Um, second race, McGinnis actually got the lead early, but Askew took the lead late in the going after McGinnis's tires began to fall off, and Askew then just went ahead, especially after there was a late race restart when Zachary Clayman's uh, car decided to stop. Uh, Oliver just needed to get one perfect restart, and that restart is what he got to uh, maintain the gap to Robert McGinnis. Overall, it was a great weekend for Oliver. He had the issue with St. Petersburg in race two when Renus uh, took him out. But the good news, though, is that he's in the top of the points, uh, on top of the points lead uh, after two ra- the two races in Austin. And he got a perfect weekend he got, in terms of bonus points. Both poles, both races he led the most laps, and both wins. All in all, perfect. What else could he ask for? The fastest lap in race two, which went to Robert McGinnis. That was the only blemish on his record. But there's no bonus point for that. that so was... It doesn't matter. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. With, almost, almost the double grand slam. With push to pass uh, not being allowed for the run, uh, front running car, the series decided last year to disable or to not allow, um, count pushed um, the fastest lap bonus points anymore. So yeah, Oliver was only sixty three thousandths of a second away from setting the fastest lap in race two. Ah. Uh... I get you. Good weekend for Oliver Askew. Uh, after four races, uh, he is six points ahead of Renus VK, and he is 16 points ahead of Zachary Clackery, no longer DeMackery. Toby Sowery, fourth in points. In 77, Robert McGinnis with those two podiums vaults his way into the top five. Uh, but the next time we will see this will not be at Barber. 
It will be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course on uh, May 10th and 11th, with the rest of the road to Indy joining them. Um, Chris, um, we really appreciate having you on the show. I, I, are you? Do we need to uh, say goodbye to you for this afternoon, this evening? Yes, I'm going to be uh, heading on off. i got a couple of things I need to take care of. Um, once again, love everything about this past weekend. Uh, Sebring, I was also there the weekend before, and that was also a lot of fun. Um, word to the wise, just uh, take in all the sights and enjoy it. I had a chance to meet up with a friend of the show, Charlie Regenball, and his father in the paddock at uh, in Austin. It was a lot of fun there, and uh, let's look forward to having some fun in Barber in a couple of weeks. Um, RJ, hopefully you'll be there, and I'll be able to see you there too. Absolutely, Chris. Um, t- good luck. Take care. It's a pleasure as always. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Single clap for uh, Colton. Thank you all. <laughs> Krista Hardy joining us uh, from Motorsport Tribune our uh, our eyes and ears in the paddock um, he is uh, he is bidding us for well but me myself and King or King and myself we are we're gonna continue on and we're gonna take a uh, brief intermission and we will be back with the Formula E Sonya E. All we wanted was just a normal, mundane, run-of-the-mill Formula E race where nothing crazy happens. So naturally, a championship leader gets taken out in a first lap collision. Uh, Naturally, we have a beef between uh, two Audi or Audi-adjacent drivers. And the points picture uh, still doesn't look any more clearer than when we started the weekend for the inaugural Sonia Epri back in mainland China for the first time since the closure of the Beijing Epri. Uh, King, um, I'm guessing you might have seen uh, and examined this race a little bit more in detail than I have. Unfortunately, um, we started off on we started off in qualifying with a first time pole winner. Yes, like I said previously on the show, it's Formula E. Anybody could win pole. Oliver Rowland takes his maiden pole position. Oliver Rowland on pole position. That was a. That certainly, uh, you know, it's a. It's an encouraging result for him. Uh, very good to see. Uh, the race itself, it turned out to be a, a little bit different, did it not? Ooh, yeah. It. It was wild. To have oh god, who lined up alongside him in a pole? Yes, we had uh, we had John Eric Vern alongside him on the outside of the first row. We had uh, one of the Audis and one of the BMWs in row two. This was a can I just say, uh, having seen the pictures of the track, it's it's a beautiful place, Asanya. Uh But the race uh, kicked off with a first lap collision. Salvo Van Dorn cannot catch a break, and Sam Bird suffers an early setback to his championship hopes. Yeah, where it was another disappointing race for HWA, and shockingly, it's it seems like if you want to win a championship in Formula E, you just gotta finish, because missing out on points is probably gonna hurt you the most, and for Sam Bird, this is probably very disappointing. In a race where it felt like, where, in a race where overtaking was more at a premium than any other Formula E race, just just scoring points, just getting through this weekend with points was 
priority number one. I find it ironic that a company called FWD is sponsoring this race when formerly e-cars are rear-wheel drive, but that's besides the point. <laughs> so we get about halfway, uh, we get more than halfway into the race here. Um, Oliver Rowland has been doing pretty good to lead most of this thing, but then uh, with about 20 minutes to go, John Eric Vern decides he has had enough of running in second place, and with uh, one wheel locked up and smoking, he decides to yeet that thing all the way to the inside and put his Tachita DS <laughs> into the lead of the race. It was a lunge that has become pretty much typical of Jev. That's kind of what got him the championship last year, being able to make overtakes in those crucial moments of the race and make them stick. And man, when he locked up his wheel, I did get a bit nervous that he was going to shoot a bit too far and go to the wall, but he made it stick. Now, of course, he still had an attack mode to take. Uh, Shortly afterwards, it gave Roland a a glimmer of opportunity and kind of stacked the field up behind him. The big loser out of that was Alexander Sims, who... uh, Tried to uh, perform a Darlington stripe on one of these walls, forgetting, of course, that we are not in Darlington, South Carolina. We're in Florida, obviously. The Florida of China, as I've stated many times throughout the show, and that cost him easily a easy podium finish. Though we do have to talk about someone who had less of a good time with attack mode this weekend. Audi's Lucas DeGrasse. Oh, boy. <laughs> so... I guess it's time for our latest episode of, well, I can't call it Beef History because that's already trademarked. And this happened towards the uh, towards the end of the race that this really kicked off. Um, but just take us through Lucas Degrassi's race and in particular his encounters with uh, with another at one time Audi factory driver and Robin Friends. Oh, well... Before that, we have to talk about his race leading up to this. You know, a bit of a rewinder, so to say. Um, but that's trademark too, King. <laughs> Damn it, we're going to get Will Bukema up in our DMs, and he's not going to come out of the show, and he's going to send us a cease and desist. Love you, Will. Okay, so... I would say Lucas Grassi's race was pretty, in his terms, below average. He... Obviously, he wanted to be in contention for the race win. He spent most of his time trying to find his place in the midfield, but it didn't help him the first time he went to go activate his attack mode. He didn't. He went too far wide of the last uh, timing loop to activate it, so it failed to activate. Uh, next lap around, he didn't try. His team kind of advised him that, yeah, you, you should try one more time. Second time, fails again. <laughs> uh... Pretty much everyone's gotten through their first round of attack mode activations, except Lucas. Third time's a charm, he nails it, but he's lost so much time, and I'm pretty sure he's lost a position or two. And pretty much the rest of the race, he is hyper-aggressive on track, doing anything he can to claw time back. But we get to the closing stages of the race. Uh, I don't know if it was tire wear or other issues, but clearly the cars behind him have a, have an advantage over him. And in the closing laps of the race, let's just say uh, contact was made with Lucas Agrassi, which was yeah. not his fault. 
Right. Um, it was Sebastian Blemmy uh, and Robin Friends who were who were diving down at the inside of the track. Friends trying to hold his position off a hard-charging Blemmy. And at this point, uh, they both have the Audi cars of Daniel Abt and Lucas Degrassi in front of them. The two of them collide, uh, sending Robin Friends uh, skidding out of control. He misses Abt. He does not. No, he misses Abt, but he does not miss Degrassi up in front of him. Uh, friends and Degrassi crash into each other. Both their races are ruined. Uh, and that leads us to today at the time of recording. We are on Monday, March 25th, 2019. Um, Lucas Degrassi, um, very much a component, a proponent of the private sector, uh, wants to enforce <laughs> penalties. Yeah, he was, he had a complaint about how Blemmy got a 10 second penalty, uh, dropping him from sit's place. With Robin Frids getting nothing by moving under braking. To which Robin Frids clapped back, How can you say that I moved under braking when you can't even spell my name right? F R I J S. Though, no end. I do have to mention, after the accident, Lucas Degrassi exited his car, which you're not supposed to do. The safety crew are supposed to come and retrieve you when it's safe to do so. Exited his car and triggered a full course caution, which ended the race. Look, he he saw a union forming, among other drivers, and he decided to bust that up. Because that's not productive. (laughs) It's not productive. Uh, Lucas Degrassi was not penalized for ending the race early. Private sector, take care of it. <laughs> Private sector, take care of it. And in the end, Jean-Eric Verne, the Jevolution has been reinvigorated and it will be televised. Sixth different winner in the 2018-19 season. And Oliver Rowland does indeed hold on for his best ever Formula E result in second Antonio Felix Costa back on the podium in third. And we'll talk about this because that has huge championship implications. Andre Lauder comes away with a fourth place finish. Daniel Apt having missed that aforementioned accident. In fifth, Jerome D'Ambrosio, Sabadei, and sixth, but not able to hold the points lead. Pascal Verlein in seventh. Sebastian Buemi, as mentioned, he was sixth on the road but dropped to eighth. Match, brah. Free to play Mitch Evans in ninth. And Felipe Massa rounding out the point scores in tenth. Oliver Turvey, Tom Dillman, Eduardo Matara, Robin Friends, and Lucas Degrassi all classified outside of the points. Drivers not classified. Nelson Piquet, 21 laps. Alexander Sims with damage completed 20 laps. Gary Paffett, only 13 laps. Jose Maria Lopez completed 10 laps. Stoffel Van Dorn, Sam Bird, and Felipe Nazar were both out by the end of lap one. All right, so, King, this Formula E championship, it's going to be something by the time we get to your neck of the woods. Oh my god. Also, I need to remind everyone that there is a European Championship this year. Uh, there's a mini-championship within this championship, consisting of oh. all the European rounds, so there is still another championship to go for. And that will start on April 13th with the Rome E-Prix, the second visit to Rome. <laughs> Uh, but if we just take a, the overall driver's championship for the entire world, Antonio Felix Costa by a single point with his third place finish, his third podium of the season, uh, he jumps back into the points by a single point over, over Jerome D'Ambrosio uh, at 61 points. John Eric Verne with his victory jumps up 
eight places and moves into third in the championship at 54 points. He is ahead of countback, ahead of Sam Bird, who slides down to fourth. Lucas Degrassi remains in fifth at 52 points, as is Eduardo Martara also on 52. So six different winners and all those top six, they are all separated by 10 points. But if you peel it back just a little bit further, there's some other guys that aren't too far back either. Daniel Lapt at 44 points, Robin Friends at 43, Andre Lauder at 41, and Pascal Verlein despite missing the first race at 36 tied with Mitch Evans. Yeah, 10 points, which is pretty much the gap between not being on the podium and winning the race, which is insane. So when Formula E returns on on April 13th, 2019 in Rome, that kicks off the European Miniature Championship. It'll take us through Paris, Monaco, Berlin, Bern, Switzerland. And then that wraps up, and then we get the two races in New York City. Um, King, has this season lived up to expectations for you now that we're almost halfway through it? Uh, in the championship as a whole, yes. Certain teams and certain drivers, some have been above HWA. Some have been very below expectations. It ain't even Stoffel's fault. <laughs> stop. Honestly, I just put it, it, it's it's their first year. It's anyone's first year is hard. Like, like Jack's first year to where they are now, they've improved. Yo, how wild is it, though, that Stoffel Van Dorn, the driver who has never finished a race inside the points and has four retirements, by himself still has more points than the Giotts Dragon team? Oh, my God. Also, yeah. like, also certain drivers are not having good times. Like, uh, Nelson Piquet Jr., uh, Sonia was his third retirement in a row. <laughs> and f- and noted Sebring 12 Hours winner Felipe Nazar, um, still without a point this season. Yeah, like, hard time for some people out there. Oh, goodness. Before we lament the, uh, lament Stoffel Van Dorn's recent career too much, let's take a quick break. And get into some news and notes from around the world of motorsport. So we'll talk about him uh, later on in the show as we uh, do our mini preview of Formula 2. Mick Schumacher is a pretty big deal and it looks like he's going to get his first F1 test this weekend. Yes, it's not been officially confirmed, but... Pretty much all sources conclude that he will get a test outing this weekend in Bahrain. Yeah, it's looking like he will. Uh, he will test with Alfa Romeo. It will test with Ferrari first, and then with Alfa Romeo. Yes. Which, of course, um, obviously, a lot of intrigue to see how Max Schumacher does uh, in a Formula One car in his first test. Obviously, there's he's one of the odds-on favorites to win the Formula Two title. Unless you're promoting for Sky Sports, and which point he might as well not exist. <laughs> is that is that black, red, and gold? Nah, he doesn't exist. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Uh, Mick has tested an F1 car. He's tested out his father's 1994 Benetton at Spa two years ago. But this will be his first time in a contemporary car, um, testing the Ferrari and potentially the Alfa Romeo that he may soon drive. As soon as next year, uh, if he ends up winning the Formula 2 championship 
is the newest member of the Ferrari Driver Academy, so naturally they're going to want him in an F1 car as soon as possible, which I'm really intrigued to see. Yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued by a lot of things. The politics, like, God forbid, well, yeah, God forbid he wins the Formula 2 championship this year and he has to be moved up. Um, where does he go? <laughs> that'll, that'll, of course, all be fascinating. Um, King, um, one of your favorite series is no longer. <laughs> what am I? It didn't even last a year, RJ. <laughs> Actually, it didn't even last like three months. Damn. So, one of the developing stories in the developmental ladder to Formula One has been the rebrand of what was the GP3 series into the Formula Three Championship. Whoa, whoa, RJ, was a merger. It was a merger. Yes. Okay, so it was a merger. In the end, what was GP3 is now FIA Formula Three. But there was still going to be regional championships, such as the old European Formula 3, which was going to be European Formula Masters, which, of course, was set to run as support to the DTM championship. And at the end of the, te- at the, end of the season, the champion was set to get a super formula test. And there were some pretty good drivers signed up, chief among them, the returning Sofia Florsch. But sadly, there were only six of those drivers signed up with a few weeks to go before the start of the season. So the European Formula Masters Series announced this past week that they will not run the 2019 season. Yeah, I, like a lot of people, kind of lament that the series had to shut its doors. Obviously, it's long, prestigious history. Yes, I joke that it's only been around for three months under its current brand, but obviously it had its time as the FIA European Championship. Before that, the the Euro Series. Before that, as two separate national championships for both Germany and France. But, yeah, it's kind of sad to see it's closing stores, but it would not be a good look if they tried to run a series with six cars. Right, and see, that's the thing. There's also been the, uh, been, you know, there is Euro Formula Open, which was Spain's regional championship. There is a regional F3 European championship that is run by the Italian body. Yes, they're uh, the Formula official Renault. regional championship. Yes, and there's going to be a Formula Renault championship run to these same new regional F3 regulations. And, and of course, there's still all Japan F3. And there's the W Series, which is run under F3 regulations. <laughs> so there are a lot of places for a lot of drivers to go and... Sadly, where some series are having no trouble drawing entrance, others really are. And, you know, it is a shame. I still uh, find it ironic looking back at some of Fritz Van Amersfoort's tweets in the offseason. The only real F3 championship of the world, our Formula European Master Series, receives 25 super license points. Really happy the FIA World Council understands the true value of a proper Formula three series hashtag 2019 is on hashtag still the best there is well what had happened was a lot of the (laughs) a lot of the bigger name prospects who were moving into formula three did not pick their championship so the likes of enzo fittipaldi david schumacher uh let's see consta 
Well, I just call him Constant because I can't pronounce his last name. He's finished, but he's the uh, the SMP F4 champion from last year. They all moved to the official regional series run by the Italian uh, Automobile Club, not European Formula Masters or Formula European Masters. Consta Lapalainen. Um, it's looking like a good grid in the Formula Regional European Championship. The grid um, in in the uh, European Masters was set to have. Uh, among others, Liam Lawson, Yuki Tsunoda, the reigning All Japan uh, Formula Four champion, the aforementioned Sophia Flourish, and Cameron Dodds from the United States. Um, here's hoping that a lot of those cars would hopefully find their way back in Euro Formula Open or All Japan F3, where they're still perfectly usable. And of course, I'm hoping that some of the other drivers who have now been displaced will. Find, quickly find rides, especially for Sofia. But yeah, RJ, I should also mention, uh, formerly European Masters didn't formally announce they were canceling their championship until after it was made publicly known that you know the three teams that had the six drivers in their series were openly looking to go to other Formula Three series. Oh boy, yeah, that's uh, that's a bit of a problem there. To say so, the least. yeah, it's highly likely that we'll probably see these six drivers in either Euro Formula Open or the official regional championship. Yeah, um, the uh, Yuki Tsunoda already has a uh, as a deal lined up for the FIA Formula Three championship, uh, so he's good to go. This was going to be like extra extra European work Ooh. for him. On the other hand, uh, they did just run a poll and determined that Mick Schumacher was their greatest champion in the last 10 years, so not all bad. <laughs> not all bad. It was a good 10 years. It was, uh, it was a pretty good run. Um, and of course, um, as an update to one of the stories we covered last week, Kyle Busch finally did surpass Richard Petty. Of course it came in a NASCAR Truck Series race and a short crack in a race that had a late caution. How else would it have come? I thought he was going to win at Martinsville, RJ. He he won at Martinsville, y'all. No, I thought he was going to win at the Cup Series, RJ. (laughs) Of course it came. Of course it came in a truck race. Still a very awesome achievement, though. I'll I'll say that. For those interested, Brad Keselowski uh, did beat down the Cup Series. uh, So at least somebody at Penske closed the deal. (laughs) All right. Um... King, um, you and I, we both love the U.S. men's national soccer team, or at least root for them at times. So um, I'm uh, I'm about to say uh, something here that can cut us both deep. It's time to head to Costa Rica. <laughs> oh, but this time, at least it's Fight Club. At least it's Fight Club. Fight Club! Okay, so naturally the Costa Rican National Motorbike Championship uh, would not be a feature, not even in the days where Bike Live on Motorsport 101, rest in peace, was a regular part of championship. (laughs) Goodness. But um, Costa Rica's National Motorbike Championship does not usually attract the attention of worldwide audience. That is set to change after a pair of riders were handed two-year suspensions following an extraordinary on-track clash between riders Jorge Martinez and Marion Calvo. 
and as they jockeyed for position, Martinez ended up clinging onto Calvo's bike. The bike eventually came to a halt, and Martinez was furious when he clambered off, resulting in fisticuffs on the track as other riders zoomed past. Now, understandably. Now we can back up a second. How did we go from them racing side by side to literally one of them torpedoing their bike into the other bike? Yeah, and if you watch the clip, which made its way to my attention by the feed of Superbike's legend Carl Fokker, (laughs) you'll see them racing side by side. You see them race side by side, and it doesn't look all that bad, but they start leaning into each other. Martinez just clings on to the back of uh, Calvo's bike. Martinez's bike just goes fearing off to the outside. Yeah, it just shoots off right. We don't see what happens to that bike. And it's at that point when Calvo's bike comes to a stop, the Martinez rolls through, and then with all the fury, just throws this absolute haymaker of a right hand right at Calvo, knocking Calvo's bike over and uh, obviously jarring him a bit. And Martinez walks away like, haha, that's it. I've settled this. But oh, he did not plan for for Marion Calvo to come running up at him and charging at him. And Martinez oh. running back into the way of oncoming traffic. That's the other thing right there. It's just like, he doesn't even care that other riders are coming his way. Oh, Jesus. So, um... Obviously, it's glad that nobody got hurt, and that's why we can joke about this now. Um, But the Latin American branch of the International Motorcycling Federation have handed out two gear suspensions for both riders. Like, damn it, F.I.M. Like, come on. (laughs) Come on, Romano got a slap on the wrist compared to Road rash is real. <laughs> All that was missing was for uh, for Calvo to have like the fucking chain, uh, but Martinez busted out the club that he stole from the police officer further up back the road. Oh my god! Yeah, this was their ride to hell, and retribution will be coming for both of them in the form of two year suspensions. Man, this is like this is literally the wildest thing I've ever seen happen on two wheels. This is the craziest thing. And keep in mind, we had an entire bike live award ceremony that was dunking on a dude who reached over to grab the Blake lever of another rider. And all of a sudden, we have these two dudes that are just like, Romano, pull my beer. We're about to put the sport to disrepute. <laughs> nah, I, I think it just signed a, signed a wonderful light on Costa Rican superbike racing, to be honest. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I I could not believe this. This is one of the things that I had to share with my friends who don't care about motorsports. That's how ridiculous this was. Like, could you, um, like, we've been through kick gate and we've been through brake lever gate. Um, what the hell do you call this? I don't know. I don't know. Literally, dude went for like a judo takedown. Like, Dude tried to pull the dude's bike down from underneath of him. Like, if this happened in MotoGP, there'd be lifetime bans handed out by FIM. To to say the least. (laughs) Oh my goodness, and I, I, of course I could imagine it happening with Rossi Marquez. Oh, oh, 
I'm pretty if 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 Marquez tried to do that to Rossi or Rossi tried to do that to Marquez, we an hour later we'd probably be talking about how either Italy or Spain declared war on each other. We would be opening the show with no music, and we would have to be wearing black. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, like, sadly, sadly, the nation of Spain has decided to declare war on the Italian Republic. Jesus, Louis. I, I, I wouldn't envy you in that situation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um... That was the uh, that was the majority of your bike content in a in a weekend without super bikes or MotoGP. We somehow managed to find something so ridiculous that it may transcend both. <laughs> uh, King, um, before we look to the weekend ahead, did we miss any uh, important news? Ooh, let me do a quick brush through. I don't think we have. But there's a lot of talk. There's a lot to talk about about the weekend ahead. Oh yes, yes. Uh, James Key as well uh, started at McLaren today. Um, his, uh, his replacement at Toro Rosso uh, has been named as well. Uh, Jody Eggington moves into the position of technical director at Toro Rosso Honda. Also, Mika Hakkinen has a new McLaren Senna, and can I say, Mika Hakkinen looks like he can still do this thing. I know Yo. we're joking about his hiatus ending anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, dude doesn't look like he's aged a day. Yeah, it doesn't look like he aged a day. doesn't look like he's had to deal with the stress of raising all those children. Oh, goodness, yeah. All right, we'll take one last musical interlude, and we'll look to the weekend ahead. So, Formula One is going to kick off its season again. Second round at Bahrain. But, King, uh, did we want to talk about something else that is joining the party? That's right. It's our Formula Two miniature preview. Ooh, yes. F2. F2's back. It's it's a whole lot different. The cars are the same, but pretty much none of the driver lineups are the same. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, of course, George Russell, Lando Norris, Alex Albon have stepped up in their place. We have a, a motley crew of characters, chief among them Mick Schumacher at Prima Racing with veteran teammate Sean Galeo. Of course, a number of intriguing challengers, Yes, as it turns out. Yes, where we, we're in the weird situation of where uh, the reigning GP3 champion has moved up as well as the runner-up, but they're on two opposite ends of the grid, where we have Nikita Mazepin up at ART with Nick DeVries, who has left Prima to, you know, Prima replace him with Schumacher. So we have them at the top of the grid. Then we have the reigning GP3 champion, Antoine Hubert, paired up alongside Tatiana Calderon with Arden at the bottom of the field. Ooh, yeah, it could be a trying season for both Hubert and Calderon. Um, but Nikita Mazepin, uh, he's, he seems to be getting better each year, and Nick DeVries could be that veteran presence who could push for the title. Another veteran driver in the championship, Sergio Sete Camera, uh, starting his, uh, starting, I believe he's moving to Dams this year alongside another experienced campaigner and Canadian Nicholas Latifi, the Williams Reserve. Uh, Carlin have completely sweeped the decks 
Luis Della Traz in the number one car alongside the returning Nobuhara Matsushita. Sorry, Dre. And just as a uh, reminder, Carlin are your reigning team's champion. Yeah. Now, Russian timer no more, but Uni Virtuosi Racing, the team that the organization that operated the team, they're back with a new lineup of Chinese Guan Yu Zhao and Italian Luca Giotto. And we have the Cheruz, excuse me, the Sauber Junior team by Cheruz with yep. Britain's Callum Islet, former Red Bull and Ferrari Junior, alongside Ecuadorian American under the American flag, USA, USA, Juan <laughs> Manuel Correa. Campos Racing have Dorian Bocalacci of France and the returning Jack Aitken, the Renault Junior driver, um, at their side. Happy Motorsport has an intriguing lineup of Jordan King, yes. IndyCar Series driver Jordan <laughs> King, alongside uh, Dutch flag Indian driver Mahavir Ragunathan, who had uh, who had driven, who was the champion most recently in the 2017 Boss GP Series. <laughs> the Boss GP road to Formula One. And as we've covered, BWT Arden, Trident, the last team on the grid, hoping for better things with Giuliano Lacey, another second-generation driver, and Ralph Bashung of Switzerland. Um, obviously, a lot of hype surrounding uh, debutante Mick Schumacher. Um, but I do think that uh, Nick DeVries can certainly give him a challenge at ART. Uh, it's a big year for Sergio Sette Camera, and I, and I wouldn't discount Luis Delatraz. Uh, yeah, uh, Delatraz and Mashusta, they're going to be scary pairing, at, especially at the defending championship, like the defending champion team. And uh, yeah, I would I would expect Debris to be the uh, the veteran contender of this bunch, uh, but obviously a lot of interest going to be generated around Mick Schumacher, even if. Uh, Sky F1 Marketing would love to center around a driver who's been dropped by two junior programs in Calum Islet, a Renault Junior who we know for being sponsored by WTF1 and Jack Aitken, and an IndyCar driver in Jordan King who is uh, going to miss one of these rounds because he is, you know, driving the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, it is. It's not, it's not like, say, last year where there's a clear core of rookies that were clearly going to stand out. It's yeah, very... the Norrises and the Russells of last year, definitely. Yeah, yeah we, we, like you said earlier, we really got a motley crew of drivers this year, and they're probably going to give us some very exciting racing. Yes, indeed. Bruno Michel is uh, ready to unleash his wild children on the world, and he will not apologize. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is Formula One's NXT. It's, 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 not, it's not developmental, it's experimental. <laughs> oh goodness and of course uh formula one will be back in uh in bahrain as well second round of the championship bahrain um it's a it's a questionable place to race for sure but the racing is always good there uh we had a absolute cracker last year with uh with valtteri potas just missing out on victory last time we were at bahrain sebastian vettel won that race of course, Botas enters as your leading driver in the championship. Um, are we going to see more of the new and improved Violent Cousin Melvin King, you wonder? <laughs> I, I hope so. It feels like it, but I know Lewis is going to give him a fight back this weekend. Don't know about Ferrari, though. Have to wait to practice. Right. Ferrari, uh, big, big weekend for them. Looks like they had power unit trouble in Australia. 
Going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. And of course, for the Red Bull and Toro Rosso Hondas, it'll be a big litmus test for them, especially if they were killing it in the speed traps in Australia. Um, that's going to be a fun race to watch. And of course, we'll have the full MotoGP ticket in Argentina, a place that always provides uh, some good racing. And I'll definitely want to catch that as well, because my goodness, we had a really awesome weekend of racing that has passed. And we're looking forward to another one. And of course, Dre will be back for episode 185 of Motorsport 101. <laughs> that will be next week. Um, but I hope y'all really, really enjoy. We hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Uh, uh, so again, we thank you very much. Again, you can find all of our work, podcasts, written material, um, videos on motorsport101.com. We are on youtube.com at motorsport101. 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter is motorsport underscore 101 if you wish to follow us personally we are at harrison 101 hd at ryan eric king at rj o'connell and at c de for chris who joined us earlier for our indycar coverage thank you so so much for tuning in um and we will catch you on the next episode until then for chris de hardy ryan king and the absent andre harrison I'm RJ O'Connell. Later, y'all. Bye.